friction is, is going to kill the deal. <laughs> you know, friction is the enemy of the buyer experience. The buyer is ready to go. They want to talk to the right person. They want to talk to them right now. Don't put barriers in front of it. Don't subject them to bad process on your part that causes them to stall. So that's a lot of how I try to think about things. Welcome to the OpStars podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrearty. Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel, CCO of Lean Data. Welcome to today's episode where I'm joined by Raheel Alam. Welcome, Raheel. Hey, Rachel. Raheel is our 2021 Opstar of the Year award winner. He's currently Senior Salesforce Admin at Showpad. Showpad's sales enablement software enables sales teams to deliver seamlessly tailored engagement at speed and close deals faster. In addition to his experience as a Salesforce Admin for high-growth B2B SaaS companies, supporting both high-velocity sales teams and account-based sales teams, he also brings over seven years of experience in marketing and operations, having been in roles such as marketing manager and enterprise marketing specialist. I am looking forward to talking with Raheel today about how he operates, the skills he's developed, and really getting at those insights and what it takes to be a rock star, Salesforce admin, and an op star of the year. Raheel, let's start first with some highlights of your career path. What led you to this role you now have at Showpad? Thanks, Rachel. But prior to all this SaaS stuff, I actually served in the U.S. Army in the Intel branch for about five years. So after I got out of that, I can do whatever I want with my life. Um, ended up in Colorado Springs, worked for a few companies in operations and marketing, and then landed at a company called BombBomb, which does video marketing in SaaS. And I was hired to be their uh, account-based marketing specialist. Nothing to do with Salesforce. However, on my first day there, I realized there were thousands of duplicate accounts in the system. And it would be nearly impossible to actually do meaningful ABM if you have nothing but duplicates in your system, which kind of led me to become the accidental admin. They didn't have one on staff. And so I kind of just took the reins and started kind of rebuilding their, their Salesforce work and really trying to build it to scale and help the company grow from where it was to where it wanted to go. Did everything from remove all those duped accounts so the ABM team could actually start doing really good ABM, but then also be building opportunity processes and really learning that part of the, of the game as well. Um, how do you marry good process to good design? How do you make sure that you're working well with your stakeholders and sellers and CSMs? That really got me passionate about what I do now, which is really trying to help integrate all these systems together um, into making a cohesive ecosystem for sellers. That's amazing. Do you think that in part your mindset is because you were brought in to build the programs? You know, I do think so. I think trying to look at it from the perspective of the end user as the one that consumes all this data, the one that will go through these processes um, has really helped me as I design them to be more human-centered and more focused on the people actually using them. You know, we have all these processes built in and a lot of them are there to collect data for a certain reason or to enable something else. But sometimes also process that's just there because, or it's, it's tech debt, or it's the way things have always been. And I think those are, for me, always red flags because if process gets in the way of the seller, you know, now you've got a problem. 
They are there to build relationships with prospects and customers and really make sure they're growing revenue for the business. Every time they have to stop, think about some process, think about what data they have to collect. Um, and it's not really seamless. That's not really user friendly. You know, you really break that, that flow that they're in. And so it's important to really think about process from a, from a human standpoint. So give us some tips. How do you go about building those process to support the sellers? I think it's a multi-step approach. I think the first thing is to really understand what you already have. Really dig into the processes you have and ask questions of why. If the person that built it wasn't there, you got you know kind of look around and think about maybe your managers or someone that's been there longer um, in your department might have an answer. And if they don't, dig in through the code, look at the flow and see what does this do? And as best you can, figure out why it does it. And then take the time and talk to people that use it every day. Talk to the sellers and say, hey, you do it this way. Tell me about that. Is it frustrating? Is it easy? You know, Where do you find that it's beneficial? Where do you find that it slows you down? And then take all that with a grain of salt. You know, I'm not going to tell you that sales and CSMs have all the answers when it comes to process. They're there to sell and grow revenue. That's what they're kind of really focused on. So whatever they say, you should just do willy-nilly. But take all that information back and really analyze and really look at what are the common themes. Maybe you'll find that the process is not too onerous, but you know maybe it runs slow and maybe you add the ask for fields that are not really used anymore. And that slows things down. So those kinds of insights that you glean by looking at the population and looking at all the data together will help you make a better, more human-centered process. Um, and then take all that feedback and then start to build something that is scalable and that gets out of the way of the seller and the end user. It should be there to help amplify what they do and not detract them. You know, if you're trying to close one a deal and you're asking them to fill in 20 fields on an opportunity, you know, make sure you give a really good reason why you need those 20 fields. If you're collecting those to collect data on, you know, why we want a deal or how much revenue we closed, um, any financial upside possible. And tell them why you're asking for certain things. You know, the more they know, the more they're going to be willing to want to help you and the more willing to give you accurate data, especially when you have to have them import something for you. If they feel overwhelmed or they feel like it's not useful, they might just give you garbage and garbage in into a form is garbage out in the data. And so you won't get the insights that you want. So really think about the user experience, really think about what you're asking and try to educate and say, I know this seems challenging. I know we're asking for a lot. Here's why I ask for these things. And here's how it actually makes your life better. If I have this data, I can better inform you of trends in your deals or trends in lookalike customers. And, you know, we take all this data and you turn it into insights and now it's meaningful. We all have all this data sitting around. But if you can't find that nugget in there, if you can't present it in such a way to sellers or to end users that helps them actually make a better action to take a better decision, then that data just doesn't really, it doesn't really have that much value as you might, maybe you think it does. That's a great tip to really be able to present back to them some value added insights. Absolutely. No one wants to sit there entering data. I just love that. That's a great way to approach things. I have a question for you as you're building out these processes for the sales teams and you think about sort of giving those insights. Many companies have more than one motion. Do you think about, oh, we, we have in the like maybe small business space, high velocity, inbound, quick turnaround to doing those account-based motions. Do you think differently about those motions and how you work with those teams or 
Is it not that different? I think you do have to account for some of the differences. And that's something I definitely do. But if you distill all these different processes down, there's usually some commonality between all of them. If you proliferate your your processes to these little silos based on the go-to-market motion, then your overhead for management is just going to be insane. What I try to do is distill things down to the commonalities and then the places where I need to be more selective and more prescriptive about that GTM motion. That's where I might change the fields presented or I might show more, I might show less. But in general, I don't, I try not to build a hundred different flows or a hundred different processes that are niche products or just niche for one motion. There's too much overhead and no RevOps team is big enough to handle that much overhead. Fair enough. That's a great perspective. We've spoken in the past, and one of the things that really struck me about the way you think, in addition to getting the the data and the insights to really inform the process, is you think about what can be automated in the process, speeding up and making more efficient the entire sales process. For example, you talked about automatically assigning a solution consultant at the right point in the deal so that it didn't have to be done manually. Share a little bit about that, how you think about that automation. Yeah. So what I try to think about when I'm building any kind of automation is try to break that sales cycle or whatever the marketing cycle is, that life cycle into moments that matter. So these are those moments in that buyer journey where that action that they take is going to either make or break the next thing that's going to, that needs to happen. So if you start to think about those moments and then start to think about who needs to be involved in those moments? Who needs to be involved to make those decisions on both sides? And what data needs to be present for your sellers to make the right decision at that moment to guide the buyer through that stage um, so they can make that positive decision to keep moving forward in that moment that matters. So what I try to do is I work with our sales leadership, our marketing leadership to distill down what are those moments that matter, whether it's five or 10, should it be 100? It should be a pretty nice cohesive list. And then think about the decisions that go behind those moments and what you need to make decisions. And so that's what helps you decide what fields to automate, who to pull in and when, and where you can reduce friction. If you, you got to do a demo to a customer, you know, you've got to have that SC already ready to go. And, you know, you can't be waiting for the opportunity to be marked a certain way. So somebody can then look at it, can then figure out who to assign an SC to, and then who's available and then get them in. It should just be asked, okay, it's this count, it's this region, this person's available, plug them in. And so look for ways to reduce friction because friction is going to kill the deal. <laughs> you know, friction is the enemy of the buyer experience. The buyer is ready to go. They want to talk to the right person. They want to talk to them right now. Don't put barriers in front of it. Don't subject them to bad process on your part that causes them to stall. So that's a lot of how I try to think about things. Those moments that matter or what I try to distill everything down to. And those are not the same as opportunity stages, by the way. Multiple moments could make up one stage or one moment could be in each stage. It it really just depends on what actually drives the deal forward to get to the outcome that you want. And so really helping to distill and define what those are is, I think, the first step. And then just remove friction as much as you can. If you've got the data to automate it, why not automate it? If you have a tool to automatically assign, automatically assign. There's no reason to add friction if you have the tools to remove it. 
what you're hitting on is what has excited me as a customer experience expert about this emergence of RevOps. It really is to me at the core operationalizing the customer experience. Frictionless customer experience is the utopia. That brings me to my next question, which is I would love to get your point of view on revenue operations and what you've seen working. How does your revenue operations function work and what is your perspective on what would ideal look like? Yeah. So at Showpad, you know, RevOps is really at the center of the whole GTM, GTM org. So we're looking at, you know, that whole buyer journey and from marketing through the sales process, through the handoff to CS, through the entire customer lifecycle. So we have the unique position of looking at that entire journey holistically and identifying all of those places where there's friction. And we're the ones tasked to identify that and also prescribe ways to solve it. I will say that leads to the biggest challenges, which is really communication. You've really got to be talking amongst your team and also talking with your stakeholders. You know, you can have these, all these amazing ideas backed by all this data, but if you're not communicating well, and if you're not really hearing what your stakeholders have to say, they may not be as responsive as you expect them to be. So really take the time to break down silos between departments and also probably within your own team. I mean, we have a BI team, a deal desk team, a field ops team on our web ops side. And if we don't communicate, things start to fall apart. You know, when we're communicating at our best, we are proactive rather than reactive. And we are cohesively identifying and fixing solutions well ahead of them becoming, you know, major problems. And, you know, I think I'm talking to other people in RevOps. One challenge is RevOps can be seen as very reactive. You know, RevOps teams tend to be, I would say, not really well staffed. I think you could always triple a headcount in a RevOps team, and even that would not be enough um, at a lot of orgs. So people are working really hard. They're really focused in what their lane is and what their niche is. There's a lot of more specialists, and they forget to communicate. And so that that needs to be addressed. And you know, you can't over-communicate, especially in RevOps. You know, just keep communicating, keep talking, try and keep trying to understand. If you're like on my side, in the process side of designing systems, I need to know what the end goal is. I need to know what, what we actually want to happen at the end. You know, what are these outputs that actually matter? You know, yeah, we want to close a deal. Cool. <laughs> but what else? You, got, you want to measure ARR accurately. You want to know what potential upside is. You want to understand X, Y, and Z. So talking to stakeholders about how they consume that data and where they find that the data maybe is lacking or where they need more. And then talk to the, the sellers and the CSMs. And what are they doing? How, what are they experiencing in that process? And maybe why they're not able to provide the accurate data that you believe they should be. You know, what information are they missing that maybe you see, but they don't? So just communicate. Don't be afraid to get dirty. You know, don't be afraid to put your hands in the dirt and start digging through things and seeing what's going on and why. RevOps is there to be a partner. We're not here to just be in a silo and say, this is, this is good and this is bad and the cost is good or make this better. It's get your hands dirty. Understand what the seller is doing. Understand their emotion. Understand what their leaders care about. Understand what the data teams care about. You know, speaking for me, I'm a Salesforce admin. I specialize in process and all that stuff. Do I understand the data stuff? Yes. Am I an expert? No. And I know that. I also know that my data team are not process experts. 
They all they know is that I gave them data. How I got that data, they may not have any clue about. Um, so it's important to really share how all that stuff's happening and how you're getting to that raw data, you know, and why processes exist. Um, so everybody can be on the same page and we can really collaborate um, and do what's best for the business and get to a place where we are proactive rather than reactive. RevOps teams, and at least for me at Showpad, at times can feel like I'm an order taker and there's so much to fix. All I'm doing is fixing all day. RevOps at its best when maybe there's enough headcount or you've gotten rid of all these bugs or there's nothing really pressing is RevOps being proactive and saying, hey, did you notice that there's a trend here at this moment that matters where conversion rates are actually going down over the past quarters? Here's what we think the reason why is. Here's what data shows. And here's one way to fix it. Can we try it? Can we do an experiment for three months to see if this, this solution works? Now you're being proactive. Now you're bringing concrete solutions to real problems that actually move the needle for revenue. It sounds super smart to be framing everything with the problem to be solved or outcome to be aligning to, because that does help everybody to achieve it rather than a set of tasks that maybe you don't even know the rationale. Do you put together initiatives? This is the outcome we're trying to drive. I mean, give us tips. How, how do you best coordinate, accomplish some of those, those goals and, and can be more proactive? Yep. So one of the things that we have at Showpad is we have gold medal initiatives. So these are going to be your five or six big things that the company wants to accomplish this year. Those are your big five goals for the year. And then each department gets those distilled down into five or six things that they can do to move you know, those things. And so what we look at is what are the five major things the company is doing and how do we as RevOps help support each of those? And so that helps get to what the outcome is and where we need to go. And then it's about just making the time to talk about those things with all the other teams. And so whether it's a bi-weekly cadence or a weekly cadence or monthly with stakeholders, whatever works best at your business. For me, for some people, it's weekly. Some people, it's monthly. But really just sitting down and talking to them and saying, hey, these are the business objectives that we're working on. We know what yours are because they're public. Here's what ours are. Here's what we're thinking about to help drive yours. Are we kind of aligned here? Or what are your major priorities for this quarter that I'm missing? So if we understand our stakeholders' priorities, that then helps the team, technical team really understand what they should prioritize. You know, you have to take time for fixing bugs. I get that. It's annoying, but we all do it. But once that's out of the way, there are many things I want to do in my job and that I want to build that probably have nothing to do with it with, with one of our initiatives. And so I probably should not spend as much time as I do on those things. As much as I want to do things that I think are fun, part of my role is also to help make sure that we move the needle for revenue and make sure that we're helping to build the business. And so if that means I have to put my my pet project to do this, these cool things with outreach and account planning and Salesforce, then it might have to wait because something else is more important because we have a breakdown somewhere in our sales funnel or we have a breakdown somewhere in the handoff between sales and professional services that, that is far more pressing and that has a far bigger impact on customer experience than the cool thing I'm trying to do. The dilemmas of an innovator. All right, I would be remiss without asking some question about your perspective on the tech stack. There's such a proliferation today yeah, how do you think about rationalizing or do you, is that even something you need to think about in your role as an admin? You know, I find myself in the middle of most 
buying um, decisions when it comes to buying new tech at, at Showpad. And I will say my guiding philosophy is proliferating your tech stack does not proliferate your revenue. Those two things do not go together. I don't know how much I can say that, but having more tech does not mean you're going to make more sales or make more money in your sales or make X, Y, and Z better. More tech just means more tech. It just means more stuff for your little team to manage. So what I'm thinking a lot about more is platforms and ecosystems and less is oftentimes more. I have a big issue with pinpoint solutions that just solve one small little thing that maybe everybody wants. But, you know, are you really going to buy a tool that solves one problem? If that problem is truly the thing that holding a business back, you can try to make that case. But I suspect there's probably more to it than just that. You know, these solutions have a lot of value. But at the end of the day, a lot of these big platforms now, whether it's Salesforce, whether it's Marketo, Adobe, whether it's even your Outreach, your Clarys, your Gong, there are capabilities in there that you can leverage now to build an MVP to test whatever hypothesis is driving you to want to buy new software. So build an MVP with the tools you have. Maybe you don't want to build, it won't take forever to build an MVP. Build something that will test one or two of your hypotheses. Run it for a quarter. Look at the data. If it's moving the needle, make some tweaks. Run it for another quarter. And then look at it again. Talk to your stakeholders. Find the gaps. Find, is it working? Is it not working? After six months, you should know if it's working or not. Um, and if it's moved the needle, now you can have a discussion on, can we meet any gaps internally with tools we have? Or do we actually have to buy something because we cannot replicate the capabilities that some tool has internally? And if the answer is we need to buy this tool, then at least you've made a really good, you've made a good effort to really think through why you want to buy it. And you know how you're going to use it and you know how you're going to measure its performance. Buying tech just for the sake of it and not measuring it and making sure it's giving you what you want is a recipe for just a lot of wasted money. Don't buy tools that cost a million dollars a year if you're using a fraction of the capabilities. Don't buy a tool for forecasting if you're not actually going to use it for forecasting and you don't actually, no one actually looks at it because it's set up wrong or whatever. And when you do buy software, really plan for implementation. Don't just leave it in the hands of the PS company that you hired or the company that you bought it from. Talk to your team. What are they going to have to do to implement this effectively? Make a really good plan. Make a really good scope of work. Get full agreement on it. What does the MVP look like? What does one quarter after that look like? What does one year after that look like? And start making the plan to implement iteratively after that MVP. You don't have to release a perfect solution on day one. In fact, I would encourage you not to because you'll spend six months building something that will be obsolete as soon as you go live. Get the MVP out and start iterating based on actual feedback. Yeah, that fits well with your perspective. If you start from the problem to be solved, you think very differently. That's a good thing to talk about in terms of RevOps teams and the structure and the capacity. You know, especially for on the team I'm on, you know, we've only got a few technical resources and we have to balance out building new things and releasing new features and dealing with tech debt. Nobody wants to deal with tech debt because it's not sexy. It's there, it's miserable, and it makes your life hell. And you can ignore it, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And eventually, it'll make it impossible for you to do new things because you keep coming up against old code, old processes that are just causing more harm than good. And so as much as nobody wants to take the time to do it, 
carve out time if you're a technical resource, carve out time to attack tech debt and be aggressive about it. Like there are, I, I always say there are no secret cows in, in, you know, in, in my tech stack. There is no piece of tech that I would not get rid of if it was if it was doing more harm than good. You know, if something is a secret cow, if something is, you, I can't live without this, make sure you ask yourself why you can't live without it. I mean, I guess for us, maybe Salesforce is the only secret cow. You know, ripping out a CRM now is probably a really bad idea, but anything else around it, like, yeah, aggressively tackle tech debt. Because if you ignore it now, it will just double inside by next year, and then you're going to have more problems. And then you, you'll spend a year just solving tech debt, and no one's going to like you because you've done nothing of any value that they can see. Even though you made the systems faster, more resilient, more performant, nobody sees that. Only people like me will see that. Is it important? Yes. But you have to find the good balance of tech debt management and adding new features and fixing bugs. And, you know, if you're a leader, make sure you encourage your team to tackle tech debt and don't just pile on to them all these new things when they keep telling you this is a bad idea. You've got to listen to your people. Your technical resources, they're smart, they're sophisticated, they can be kind of nerdy, but they know their stuff. When, when, when we're looking at something and something's wrong, we know it's wrong. Allow us to fix it. I promise it'll make your life easier. I will keep that in mind as I uh, ask for more features, functions, and capability. All right. So let's move to the final two questions. The first is advice to someone who's just about to start in their first operations role. Be a sponge. I don't care how much you know, how much you think you know, but you know a fraction of what you actually should. So take that first few weeks, months, and really just learn, really learn to understand how the company operates, why it operates the way they does, why processes exist, um, how they operate, and talk to people. Try to understand what their likes and dislikes are. Try to understand what they're actually trying to accomplish and try to understand what is actually getting in their way. Fix your bugs. But don't make any major enhancements until you fully understand how your business operates and why it operates that way today. Once you know that, then you can start to put piece together issues and where there are gaps and where there are redundancies, and then make a plan to attack those. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be like me who thinks they know everything. You know, <laughs> ask lots of questions. You know, I'm very guilty of diving headfirst and wanting to fix everything and not realizing that. That's actually doing a lot more harm than good. Take a step back, put your ego in check, do your homework, build trust. So when it's time for them to take action, you have freedom to move. Excellent. I think that's great advice in any role. So thank you. And final question, who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch? Man, that's a, so many people. I think I'm talking to Don Otbos at Lean Data a couple of times. That dude's just smart. I hope one day I get to sit down with him. I know he's now moving up to like a VP of alliances or business development at Lean Data, but just his perspective on RevOps, how he's you know built a team and how what he's done is something that I would love to learn from him. Hopefully someday. I think we can make that happen. Well, thank you so much, Raheel. I really appreciate you being on and congrats again for being Opstar of the Year. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. The Opstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for Opstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts 
or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Opstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.